I mean, I think I've got skills, but I think I'm not, I'm not the handsome leading man guy. I'm odd looking. I, I do have a crooked mouth. I, you know, Milo from um, This Is Us uh, has a crooked mouth. I think it's, you know, I'm not the same guy. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Bill Kelly, a guy who has never been afraid to try something new. He did gymnastics for the first time in college and made the team, worked in radio formats he wasn't familiar with, and became an actor after a fax came into the radio station looking for help with student films. And today, when he's not selling or producing local radio, he's flying around the country to be on the set with the likes of Samuel L. Jackson, Anne Hathaway, and Dwayne Johnson. Not too bad for a guy who says he was pretty invisible before he got cast in the lead of his high school play. We started with a question about how he would describe himself today. Probably say I'm a lifelong broadcaster, part-time actor, church-going, family-loving kind of guy. I mean, I, I've been in entertainment for as long back as I can remember. So, I, you know, I'm the entertainment type. So you grew up in central Kentucky, right? Richmond? Grew up in Richmond, Kentucky, which is a small town. Eastern Kentucky University is there, just outside of Lexington, about 30 minutes. Spent a lot of time in Lexington, but uh, Richmond is, um, you know, it's home. I go back there probably once every five years. I get a chance to go back and had a good life in Kentucky, you know. Grew up running around, playing baseball, riding bikes, uh, running into mailboxes with the bicycles and and doing just normal kid stuff. You know, it's amazing how we got up on a Saturday morning, watched cartoons, grabbed your bike, and you took off and you didn't come home till till it was dark. Till it was dark, yeah, yeah. till it was dark. And sometimes there, you know, after dark, uh, it was usually my dad yelling out on the porch to come home, and we were always out doing stuff and. Dark cloud fights and building forts and and just uh, and being down and dirty kids. Yeah, I don't I don't know if kids do that anymore, but we had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do. I think there's too many things. At least people are too concerned with now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Sounds like life was fun. So you had siblings. I mean, what what was family life like? <laughs> uh, my dad was a uh, career Air Force. So um, we didn't, you know, we didn't do a lot of the traveling that a lot of families did, yeah. a lot of relocations. It was pretty much uh, Richmond for my entire life. I mean, he would go on, you know, tours of duty and be gone for six months at a time, something like that. But um, I had a sister, uh, passed away in 98 due to a car wreck. <laughs> and uh, so I'm the only child now. But my parents have been together for 62 years. Wow. And live in Arab, Alabama now. You know, big city, bright lights, and um, is that in L.A.? It's not in L.A. It's in Up A. <laughs> up A. <laughs> you know, it's in. It's up near Huntsville, not in Lower Alabama. Yeah, right. it's um, it's it's a fun little town. It's actually you know a pretty quaint little town. It's got you know all the staples of life, but they do roll up the streets at about nine o'clock every night, right. so it's not uh, not quite uh, the metropolis. So but, in today's um, world, what is it? What does it mean to you to have parents who have been married for sixty two years? Well, it gives it gives me a, a sense that um, marriage, you know, is not something that's fleeting. It's it's something that you you stick together and you work through. And everybody has problems, but you don't give up. You know, right. you make that commitment and you you try to stick to it as best you can. Hopefully, it's you know a lifelong thing. But it's um, it's taught me about you know understanding, cooperation, the give and take. And as long as you wake up every day thinking, what can I do for that other person before you think about yourself, I think you've got a, a pretty good start on you know being in a lifelong relationship, no matter who it's with. Or I think America needs to get more 
you know, solid in relationships and in marriages. There's too much of the text messaging and social media messages and, and ugly things in the world that um, it's just no place for anymore. Right. So good, stable childhood, fun. Good, stable. Sounds all good. Yeah. You know, my dad and I, um, we weren't the the run out and to the front yard and play baseball type of father-son. But every Saturday night, we went out to the local stock car track, the dirt track, which is about a mile away from my own half mile. We'd usually walk through the field and go to the, the races on Saturday night. So we spent a lot of time getting to know each other then, uh, just bonding. I learned about country music back then, which was Loretta Lynn and George Jones. <laughs> real country music, Real right? country music. Yeah. Uh, that's where I, I kind of got my knack for it. Um, my mom always loved to make her laugh. She and I took after each other quite a bit. Um, had you know, as like most kids, I think I was bullied in high school and grade school because I, you know, I'm not the star athlete with the perfect looks. I got a crooked mouth and a, you know, a, I got my flaws. But um, you know, it, it it bounced off of me. I think better than than a lot of people you know tolerate it today. That's just kind of what you did back then. <laughs> but you and your mom, you guys were comedy partners, it sounds like. Yeah, we were comedy partners. You know, I I, um, I think if you can make fun of yourself as a kid, uh, which I instilled in my children um, who would come home with their feelings hurt, and I'd say, you got you to gotta take their ammo away from them and just laugh at yourself. They're laughing at you. Laugh with them. Right. Uh, but I love to make her laugh. I, I'll never forget her sitting down on the kitchen floor going, shut up. I'm kind of wet my pants. <laughs> you know, and it's um, – it was things like that, that that really, you know, kept our family together. I was told to get home at 11 o'clock. I got home at 11 o'clock. Right. You know, if I uh, had to do something or – and back in my day, you got a spanking. You know, I think I turned out okay for some reason. Right. I imagine military <laughs> family, your, you know, your dad was pretty rigid and structured and – you know, yeah, to some degree. Yeah. I think the biggest issue he had with me was me taking his tools to go build a treehouse and leaving his brand new saw in the rain. You know, <laughs> where's my tools? And now I, you know, my kids do the same thing to sure. me now. Yeah. Know, looking for my tools all the time. How'd you do in school? I did okay. You know, I was a I was average. Had my you know B's, mostly C's, couple D's, occasional F. So I was average. Um, School was always a, a tough thing when you're not, you know, the big athletic kind and not the the prom king. You kind of figure out where you fit in. And it uh, it ended up I had a handful of friends that I hung out with and I started dating a girl and she's like, wow, you're different. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I thought you were into drugs. And I went, no, where did you get that idea? <laughs> was that the only other alternative? And I guess it was, yeah. you know, and I didn't smoke. I didn't do drugs and, and uh, tried tried athletics but uh, kept getting injured, you know, on day one of tryouts. Uh, but student life was uh, was fun. It wasn't until my senior year that I kind of came out of my shell I decided to go and audition for the senior play, which was the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> and I auditioned for um, the part of Mr. Drysdale. Mr. Drysdale. And they came back and said, we want you to be Jed Clamp at the lead. And I was like, oh, cool. So all of a sudden my popularity changed and people realized that I had been there for three years prior. And um, <laughs> Oh, yeah. I thought I saw you. I like, you look familiar. Do you, do you ever come to Madison Central? Well, as a matter of fact, I, yeah. It's like we were in English together for four years. Don't you know me? You know, so high school was uh, – it was okay. You know, it wasn't insufferable. I enjoyed it. But uh, – and then got into college, um, started out being – you know, trying to be an architect major. And they have this thing called uh, trigonometry and calculus and things. Mm. And I went, oh, God. Yeah. And um, Tripped up more than one yeah, person. it did. Yeah. It really did. And I sat there – I'll never forget sitting there at my drafting table looking outside. It's springtime, and I'm going, do I really want to be tied to this table when everybody's out enjoying the weather? And I'd always wanted to to be in entertainment, and I thought, well, I want to be a DJ. So I left that, went to my <laughs> advisor and said, I want to change majors. And she said, you're crazy. You're two years into an architecture degree, and you want to change majors. And I said, yeah. So I uh, started pursuing broadcasting. Was on the gymnastics team. I saw that. Um, yeah, you didn't do any gymnastics in high school. No, nothing, never. Um, I was a pommel horse specialist, so it was just the pommel horse. 
Because so how does one just training. get into gymnastics in college? I took a I took a, a PE course called Rings Parallel and High Bar, and me and the pommel horse fell in love with each other. Hmm. So I picked it up really fast. Um, it requires a lot of strength. Yeah, it requires a lot of a lot of time in the gym, and I basically had a crash course. You know what a lot of these guys have been doing since they were kids. But I. Um, Asked the coach, you know, is there any way I could get to work out more on the pommel horse? And he said, well, did you become the manager of the team? And I'm like, oh, boy, here we go, manager of the team. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's going to get the girls. Yeah. And I said, will I be able to work out? And he goes, every day with the team. And it was, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. If you do this, you'll be able to get – I'll be able to give you some training. Right. So I did and, you know, was, my duties were really picking up the laundry in the day, in the morning, first thing – 5.30 or so, and then turn around taking it back at uh, the end of practice. But every day I was in that gym all the way through the summer, break, the whole thing. When we got back in the fall, uh, I'd learned enough to, to where the coach put me on the team. That's amazing. And, how, uh, how, did, how were your teammates? Did they were like, who is this guy? Or were they accepting and you know, helpful? They were, they were pretty supportive. Yeah. Um, some were, you know, some were not quite as supportive because it, it, they didn't know who I was, and it was like we've been doing this forever. And yeah, like who are you? Who are you to walk on this team? I never competed because of a girl. I quit the team because of a girl, and then she left me. And that's when I learned: do things for yourself, don't do it for other people. Right. Follow your passions. All right. So you are in um, broadcasting, and yep. you wanted to be a DJ. So in your mind. What does being a DJ mean? Like spin the tunes and and be the – This is 1981 and there's – it's so odd. So Casey Kasem a, and – Yeah, Casey Kasem was, was uh, you know, the big guy back then with, with his Top 40 show. And right. um, I had um, – there was a lot of glamour around it. This was the, the dawn of the FM dial, you know, the peak of – of FM radio or the the beginning is of the the its dominance I should say but AM stations were still around and people actually listened to them so I uh I took I took two turntables um in a cassette machine and I just made the worst air check in the world and I took it down to our little local radio station which is a 1000 watt daytime daytime signal AM station WEKY which oddly enough when I moved down here Frank Ranicky also worked at WEK <laughs> really? when he was in Kentucky. Right. So uh, we ended up yeah. – we'd started at the same station different times. Right. Legendary WCTV <laughs> newsman Frank right. Ranicky. So I took it into the, the program director and I said, I want to be on the radio. And he's like, well, let me listen to your tape. <clears throat> so he listened to it. He called me that night and he said, come on in. We're going to hire you. Or, I want you here tomorrow. So I got two hours of training and – he said, "Okay, you think you got it?" And I said, "Yeah, I've got to, you know, give it some practice, and, and yeah, I'll get there." And he goes, "Oh no, you're on the air in ten minutes." <laughs> and I went, "What?" And he goes, "Yep, there's the records you're playing, and uh, here's the liners you're doing, and I'll see you later." And he left, and that was it. And it was, it was really sink or swim. You know, it was uh, the first record I ever played was Jerry and the Pacemakers. Ferry Cross the Mersey. <laughs> and I had no idea who the heck Jerry and the Pacemakers So what was the were. format of the station? It was AC, Adult Contemporary. Okay. So we were playing, you know, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes and, you know, the Beatles. and All over like the that, place. All over the place. And some current stuff, Olivia Newton-John and whatever was, was popular then. Some Bee Gees would still be going. Yeah, right? Bee yeah. Gees were going strong. Yeah. Um, so I'd forgotten who I was playing. I had no idea who they were. So I'm... Trying to do the outro of this record and trying to read the label, which is spinning around 45 <laughs> revolutions per minute. And it was just a train wreck. I think I dropped a, a, a bad word there and nobody called. Nobody noticed. And I thought, well, my radio career is done. It's over with. And um, It's fun while it lasts. It was fun while it lasted. And I changed my name to Bill Bradley because I had thought I had, a radio, you know, had to have a radio name. And the program director calls me and it goes – I just heard your first break. Yeah, you're going to have to do better than that. And what's with Bill Bradley? And I said, well, I needed a radio name. He goes, you got a radio name. So I was Bill Bradley for one break on the radio, 
And then I went back to Bill Kelly. That makes sense because, well, the name Bill Bradley was already taken. It at was the time. taken. I didn't yeah. know that there was, you know, an NBA player, NBA player, former, senator, or future senator, yeah. right? Yeah, or he may have like been that. senator by then. I don't even know. But, yeah, it's, didn't, yeah. I just made something up. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, you know, that was my uh, foray into radio, and that was 35, almost 34 years ago. Yeah. So I assume if it wasn't then, it was soon that some part of you fell in love with. The process and radio and the and the whole thing. Yeah, it was really the creative process. I loved and still love writing commercials, doing commercials, working with sound effects, creating voices, doing accents, and and coming up with with uh, acting. Yeah, it's acting on the radio. People ask me all the time, "How'd you become an actor?" I'm like, I've been in radio for twenty what thirty five, almost thirty five years. You're acting every day. I got divorced, and I was on the air. I, first wife and I, you know, we we were young and got married, and six months into it, we went, eh, we probably shouldn't have done this. She moved away, and I'm sitting there, and I wanted to say it, and she wanted to say it, and we just were dying, and I'm like, what are we going to do, la, 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 and I'm, you know, we're all upset and stuff, and I said, hang on a second, 1340, <laughs> right. and I go back to that's picking acting. up the phone, yeah, yeah. and that's acting, right. um, so it's like every day you have to walk in and hang your problems up on the the hook behind the studio door right. and you walk in there and when the light comes great. on sure light you have comes to be on, on and right? you have to be on and you have to talk to one on one with one person at one time and say how's your day going because mine's great and i hope you have a good one too and if not come back here we'll play some music together and you know you can win a prize or something like that you know, they're entertained, they find good music, they are engaged in discussion. And when they turn that radio on, you are, you know, they're your best friend. Now, obviously, with technology and things, the platform has changed, the delivery system has changed. Right. Do you think radio still has that kind of place in the lives of people? Absolutely. I, yeah, it, you know, it really does. And I think it's actually a little bit more of an escape than it used to be. Um, radio is where you go to to engage and find out what's going on in town. So the delivery system has changed a little bit, but um, you know the radio is still very viable because you find out what's going on in the world with entertainment. You find out the latest news. You find out the traffic, and that's been consistent since you know the beginnings of radio. Right. There's an intimacy about it too, right? Because it is. Someone's talking to you. Someone is talking to you, and and I don't know how, if you've ever gone to sleep with a radio on. Mm-hmm, sure, but it's somebody that's sitting there having having a discussion with you, be it you know unbeknownst to you or not. They could right. be telling you information or talking about the you know some star somewhere, but it is a one on one. So, what brought you to Tallahassee in 1986? Radio. I had gone. Um, I've only worked at five radio stations in that 35-year career, which if you know anything about radio – It sounds crazy. – is nuts because there are people that I know that move they, – they're at 15 different radio stations. But I, I left Richmond and I went to Lexington and worked there and then I went to Iowa. I don't know why. <laughs> For three months, found out way that was way too cold and moved back to Kentucky. Then I in nineteen eighty four I got hired in Bainbridge. And then um I got a call from this you know, the ninety four nine TNT in Tallahassee saying, Have you ever done country? And I said, No, I haven't, but I'd be willing to listen. And they hired me to do to be the music director and come in and and develop the radio station. And did you like country music? I did. Um, it, I came in at a time where, and it goes back to the you know the racetrack and my dad. I learned about country music and had been exposed to it for many years prior. But uh, yeah, loved country music. Loved getting to meet a lot of these people. They came through town. Um, I mean, I met the stars. Dolly Parton called my mother. You know, for me as a favor, Garth Brooks a couple times, Shania, you know, the, the many concerts that came through town, Conway Twitty, George Jones. It was just a very, you know, and then you had things like the country music had fanfare, which was a big event in Nashville where the country music audience uh, or the country music audience, yeah, could go and meet these stars of country. Makes its popularity 
even more understandable because it's accessible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could, you know, there are many times where uh, after a concert that somebody would come out and sign autographs out in the front lobby. And um, you also spend time as a music director, I mean, a program director. So. I was, uh, I wore a lot of hats. Yeah. I, so, um, tell me about all the hats you wore in a, at the radio station. I um, did commercials, wrote commercials, uh, did promotions, um, developed the promotions, got prizes for the promotions. I was the music director, I, which is the music director picks the songs that the radio station is going to play. And um, I was a program director for a time. I was – Morning show, middays, afternoons, and nights. So there's not too much at that station that I haven't done, and now I'm into sales. So right. it's uh, and I'm, I'm you know I still do a, a job on the air on the weekends uh, just for fun. I work a ten to three shift on a Saturday on Saturdays, and I just have fun with it, you know. But I still get people. Um, Oh, I heard you on the radio, you know, wow, it's neat. I heard you on the radio. And so it, it tells me that, yeah, people are still in tuned. Uh, they're still checking it out. They're still, you know, following the radio station, seeing right. what I'm doing. And I did want to touch on in 1988, you received a CMA nomination for music director of the year. I was nominated for music director of the year. It was, it was uh surreal, you know, it was like, Wow. That's kind of cool. So you and went to the ceremony out. and I didn't go to the ceremony. Oddly enough, um, you know that's that's one of the the big things of radio was to to have that ability to get nominated. Um, so I didn't get to go to the ceremony because they only take the winner. They knew if, who the winner was. Yeah, well, they yeah they they uh, once they announced the nominations, they whittled it down to three, and then they announced the winner uh, prior to the CMA, so they okay. knew who it was in, in advance. Rudy Fernandez out of Texas. I hate you. No, you're a good guy. <laughs> Still bitter. <clears throat> yeah. Not that I'm bitter anymore. Um, but it was just, you know, it was, it's really what they say. It, it's being nominated is such a huge honor. And I didn't get a plaque. I got a sheet of paper with a CMA logo on it. said, Bill Kelly, you know, nominated for music director of the year, small market. Yeah, it's you know it's fun cool. to get those accolades. It's yeah. fun to do it, but it doesn't define define who right. I am. I would like to think that being a part of somebody's yeah. you know, making a difference in their life is what I yeah, would much be more important. For. Yeah, it's a lot more important. Yeah, know? that's great. All right, so I know you were Jed Clampett. So I don't know if that's where you caught the acting bug, or when did you decide that <laughs> acting was going to be something that you were going to pursue? You know, it was. It was. Um, it was a stage production, which I've to this day that is the only stage production I have ever done. Um, people ask all the time, "Isn't it?" I'd be a nervous wreck if I was yeah. in, you know, a Quincy, TV show or something like that. Quincy, Monticello, Tallahassee—they're community theaters all over the place. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. I love watching them. We're going to go to Monticello and and watch one coming up. I forgot who it is. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's just not me. You know, theater is a whole different thing. It's six weeks of rehearsals every night and it's and it's there's a lot that goes into it. So I really respect the people that do it. And I've got a lot of friends that are that are into theater. But yeah, it was Jed Clampett and um you know, in Richmond, Kentucky, you didn't have local theater. You didn't have um avenues to explore where you could go and do theater or or any type of film work. Right. Um, you had the school play basically. That was pretty much it until about 2003 that we got a fax um into the radio station that said open auditions at the FSU Film School. And I will never forget that day. I stood there and I looked at that thing and I went I'm doing this. This is my first opportunity in years to go and explore something I have such a passion for. And so I went down and I auditioned, uh, open auditioned. I was scared to death. So I um, I, I did that and I got a, a couple calls for, um, I think I was an extra once on a film. I'll never do that again. Um, <laughs> no extras. <laughs> no extras. Um, and then I got a film um, that I was one of the lead actors on that was um, – well, horrible. I was awful in it. The film was good. I was just – I'd looked – you know, you're always your own worst critic. But I look at that now and I'm like, oh, man. So I um, I kept auditioning every time the opportunity came up. It's twice a year. 
And um, I made sure I went and auditioned every time to be fresh and, and to get skills on being in a room with people um, and auditioning and live, you know, in person. Long story short, after about 30 short films and, and numerous competition commercials, I finally had enough to put a reel together. And uh, after I got divorced, I said, uh, I am going to try now to get an agent. To get a good agent, you have to have a referral. I didn't learn that immediately, but I was I knew I was going to be pretty So you big. can't go in cold to an agent and say, yeah. I want you to represent me? Yeah. It's if not to get anybody really good. Um, I had an agency in Nashville that um, wanted to hire me. So I drove to Nashville and I did a cold read for them. And they said, well, we like you. We want to sign you. But what if we have a car commercial from the dealership here that needs to be done and you're not available? And I went, car commercial? You're not the guys for me. So it, uh, I had done a film at Florida State where I found a local film um, actress who had a good agent and had been doing some good stuff. So I asked her for a referral. She referred me to Brevard Talent and Orlando Tracy. Uh, went down and did, did a cold read for her. And she said, I'll let you know. Two weeks go by and I hadn't heard anything. And so I thought, well, I'll just shoot an email out to her and say, thanks for considering me, la, la, la. She writes back, oh, I forgot to call you. <laughs> I'm signing you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> and then it you know, kind of took off from there. And it was yeah. shortly thereafter that it, it really started to, to That's roll. Great. Yeah. The lesson there is the importance of the follow-up email. The importance of the follow-up email. Yes. All and, the time. And don't, and don't go with the first person that wants to. That's true too. Wants to sign you. And I also wanted to point out that, you know, you being in Tallahassee that, I mean, Florida State's got one of the premier Absolutely. colleges of, um, was it motion picture arts? Right. Or, I mean, you, this, this opportunity wouldn't have happened anywhere. It I mean, would not have happened if it weren't for that film school. And I cannot thank that film school enough for what they allowed me to do because it was and, – and again, people ask me all the time, how can I get into acting? I'm like, do the work. Go get in front of a camera. I mean, you did like 35 movies, right? Yeah, before I right, that's started what I mean. doing professional stuff. Right. And it's like you got to do the work. It's like, can you get me in this film? No, I can't get you in this film. I, first of all, I'm nobody. I'm just an actor. Uh, but you have to have the work. I've, I had a lady that – is a friend of mine that had, had come to me and she said, um, we're going to get our son into uh, films and television like you. And I said, really? What's he done so far? And she said, oh, nothing. we got an agent now, so he's going to get all that for us. <laughs> and I said, well, it doesn't really work that way. You have to you have to have the work before you can get the right. agent. She said, well, how can I get the agent? If I, you know, it's a catch-22, but you got to get in front of a film, you know, some type of filmmaker somewhere. Right. And I said, you should really run because what's going to happen is you're going to get – this agent's going to, quote, sign you. And then it's, well, you need headshots. They're only $300 and we, we'll take care of that for you. <clears throat> oh, well, he needs acting lessons. That's $500. we are going to take care of that for you. And, of course, runway. You can't do anything without that. And, and it just it's – a, it's a scam because they want to make money off of you. The way an actor's agent works is they make money when you make money. So if my agent gets me a job, I cut her a check for 10 percent, not the other way around. And so I think a year and a half later, I happened to see her at Cascades Park and she said, we should have listened to you. <laughs> and I said, how much did it cost you? And she said, oh, about $15,000. Wow. And they are so hyped up about their kids being into movies and getting into film that they're spewing out the money and not realizing that there's nothing coming back. And it, right. and it probably never will. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001. Because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. So 2012, you get your first professional role in Burn Notice, right? Yeah. Um, I can't remember which was first. I think I shot 
pain and gain first? I'm not sure. I had auditioned for a couple things like right there back to back. Mm-hmm. And it was um, – I remember I did one. <laughs> I did pain and gain I think first and I went to Miami and my very first professional gig – First of all, I thought I'd gotten a different part. So I go down there and I'm thinking I'm one guy and I'm actually the other guy. Um, and my first job is, you know, Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, Anthony Mackie, and directed by Michael Bay, who um, likes to blow things up. Likes to blow things up. And so I didn't have a lot of lines, but it was a, you know, a memorable little scene. And I, um, I didn't even know if I made the film. I mean, it's one of those things where you you do it and you go, well, I hope I didn't get cut out. And then a friend of mine that went to the film school is out in L.A. at the editing house that is editing the film. And he happens to walk by the door of the guy editing part of the film that I was in. And he messes me and says, oh, my God, I just walked by this guy's door and there you are on the screen. And that's how I found out that I actually made it into the film. Yeah, it was a really good experience. I mean, you know, we had a lot of fun on the set. Got to know some some people and got to watch the process. And more than anything, I got to learn, you know, from these great people. Um, it was funny because they brought in people that were actually living in the neighborhood we were at to use them as extras. You know, we're invading this neighborhood full of million dollar plus homes. Um, and this one guy's there. He's probably 65, 70 years old. And he's sitting there talking to Mark Wahlberg. And he's like, so how long have you been acting? Um, you, you planned on doing this for a living? And he's like, you know, Mark's very cool guy. And he's like, he knows that this guy has no idea. And he, he understands. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to make a living out of it. He goes, where do you live? He goes, Beverly Hills. He goes, oh, it's nice out there, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy has no idea who Mark Wahlberg is. No. But I, I was lucky enough to get to work with um, – Dwayne Johnson again, and then Anthony Mackie. So, and then I I got a call to do uh, to go to the audition for Burn Notice as I got on the interstate to leave Miami, and she's like, "Could you turn around and stay another night and do Burn Notice audition?" So I did that, and and that was my first two right. projects right there. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so you did that led to a lot of roles over time, TV, movies, um, Netflix series, Bloodlines, yeah. one of my favorites. Love that show. Yeah, people are still watching that show like yeah, crazy. I was know? disappointed that it, it seems like they just wrapped it kind of quickly. They really had to. Um, the incentives had dr- dried up for Florida. And um, I'm going to hold on my political jargon here, but the guys up there in our legislature decided that it wasn't bringing enough money into the state and um, cut the incentives or didn't renew the incentives. So um, that ended up six seasons from what I understand wrapped up into three. So it was, um, you know, short lived. Yeah. But it was supposed to go for, they were hoping for six seasons. Right. Halt and Catch Fire was another one of my favorites. I love the, the telling of the, the computer business in Texas during that time and the the beginning of the internet and all that, all that cool stuff. That was a, a pretty, pretty cool period of time technology wise yeah it was one that um you know a lot of people younger people these days don't realize that this iphone or this you know um laptop or this ipad that you've got had very humble beginnings you played the heartbroken dad online who realized that uh, his information had gotten further than he hoped. That is that is the precursor to everything that we know now of your phone getting hacked, your emails getting hacked, phishing, you know, online scams. All the stuff started with chat rooms, and all of a sudden, your private chats really weren't that private. And so here I'm I'm playing a father who had recently lost a son and I'm selling off some of his, you know, his computer stuff that I really don't know much about. So who's your favorite person you think you've ever worked with? Wow. You know, I have been so blessed that I have not met a jerk yet. <clears throat> really? I mean, Michael Bay was, uh, you know, he had a, a bad reputation for being explosive and it was, you know, he was a great guy. Um, directors, I just worked with Ron Howard, fantastic director, super nice guy. Uh, worked with George Nolfi on The Banker with Anthony Mackie and Nick Holt. Um, they've been fantastic. Dwayne Johnson, 
Super nice guy. Kyle Chandler, uh, Enrique Marciano, uh, Linda Cardellini, all the people yeah, from the Bloodline. Bloodline, Bloodline. Yeah. Sissy's amazing. Sissy Spacek, uh, yeah. sweet, sweet lady. <coughs> so I've always kind of wondered about that. If you're Excuse not an, like an A-level superstar actor making the millions. <laughs> and I'm a, not. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the millions part. The other part's true. That the um, – I mean, is there a, a diva-ishness about it? Or it sounds like everybody's super nice and you're all kind of on the same team and everybody works together really well. Again, I haven't met anybody yet that has been even remotely close to diva-ish. And I say that with all sincerity. <clears throat> you know, Sissy Spacek walking into the makeup trailer. I mean, when I'm, I'm – my hair is sticking all sorts of ways – they're cutting it and styling it, <clears throat> and she's bringing in her daughter to meet you know people. Um, I introduced myself to her again because I'd met her once before, but I'm like I'm nobody. And she goes, "I know who you are, Bill." And I'm like, wow, that, "That's pretty Jesse cool." Spacek just said that to me. Kyle Chandler came and knocked on my door the first day of production and said, "You want to go run lines?" So we went to the sheriff's, you know, the set and went to the sheriff's office and sat there and. Talked over the scene and ran over the lines, and it was great. I mean, have you ever been starstruck by anybody the first time you met them? <clears throat> Not really. You know, I, I think that goes back to the radio portion of it, where I got to meet a lot of country music stars and rock stars and stuff that I was kind of past that. You know, you're always impressed. You know, when you meet the real person, you're like, wow. So it's you know it's not starstruck, but it's a lot of respect. Respect, yeah. So this may seem like an odd question, but it seems like you have a lot of acting momentum. I mean, it seems like you're just getting busier and busier. What do you attribute that to? Why do you think you're getting cast so often? <clears throat> Honestly, I you know I think it's. I mean, I think I've got skills, but I think I'm not. I'm not the handsome leading man guy. I'm odd looking. I I do have a crooked mouth. I I don't look like every other guy that's out there. So I think that helps a and bit. That works to your advantage for this. Sure. You know, it's um and I I just I just have a passion for you know, studying it and studying actors and Does that continue now? Do you keep always working on it? Absolutely. I I haven't um I think you learn from every actor out there. You know, you learn from some of these guys that are young and you look at what they're doing and there's some amazing younger talent. And then you look at some of the older guys and you look at the, the Al Pacino's and the Robert De Niro's and the Sean Penn is an amazing actor to me because he's so, he's a chameleon who can change into pretty much any character he wants to do. To me, he will always be Jeff Spicoli, but I, you know, I understand he's done other things since then. He is, yeah. It's it's amazing because I I went back and saw uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High not too long ago, and I look at that and it's like, wow, that was Jeff Spicoli. <laughs> and I've seen him in uh, Mystic River, which was amazing. He played a uh, you know kind of a monster. Crazy. I just watched that uh, Milk, which is uh, the story of Harvey Milk. But he's an amazing actor, um, and a friend of mine just got to work with him. And I'm so jealous. She's from here. Julie Moss uh, got to work with him in, in a, a series on Hulu, I think it was. And then uh, um, Johnny Depp, you know. But anyway, you go back and you look at, at some of the things that these people do, and it's just uh, you're always learning from every different character they do. I'm curious. Do you get recognized in town by people who don't know you? Not often, no, which is good. You know, it doesn't, you know um, – it's it's uh I'm I'm just me the radio guy. I'm just me who goes to church, you know, Canopy Roads. I'm just me who goes through Chick-fil-A and it's like So you're saying you don't you don't have a driver then? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's you know, it's <laughs> I don't get noticed much. It, it, so it's kind of, you know, when somebody does, they go, "Oh, I love Jim Blunt." A funny story is I'm sitting on Chick I was sitting in Chick-fil-A on West Tennessee Street. And I'd gone over there, <clears throat> and I stopped, got some chicken nuggets. I'm sitting there looking at my phone, eating my nuggets. And this guy walks up, this college kid walks up and goes, are you in Bloodline? And I went, 
Why, yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I am. And thank I, you, you know, for asking. And thank you for asking. And he said, I, you know, I, I, a friend of mine were just binging that. And I looked over and I'm like, that can't be. And thought I'd ask. And I said, yeah, it's kind of weird. I never get recognized. It's not you're, – you're talking about me being in – usually it's one episode here of this show and over there. So right. the odds, unless they watch Bloodline. You'd have to be a real fan <laughs> of some of those shows. Yeah. Too. Oddly enough, I'm in Miami and somebody came up and they had tickets for the Miami Dolphins game. So I go watch Miami and Green Bay play. There's nobody down there I know, you know, so I went by myself. And I'm sitting in the middle of, you know, this big huge stadium with thousands of people everywhere and I'm at one of those stand-up tables and I'm eating a hot dog and this guy walks up and goes, "He goes, "Weren't you in burn notice?" And I'm like, "How do you do that?" That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's like I I can't even imagine I'm in one minute of one episode in season six out of all those seasons, and this guy recognizes me from it's crazy from that. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. It's entertaining sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to shift gears a little bit. Tell me about your family. You have three sons. I have three sons. <laughs> um, awesome kids. I love my kids so much. They're great kids. All boys. Thank you. Um, <laughs> My oldest, Brandon, um, so he runs a restaurant in St. Pete. Very proud of him. He's um, struck out on his own, moved away from town and <clears throat> living his life down there, and which is what I did when I was his age. My middle son is in law enforcement, <clears throat> Nicholas, um, married, no grandkids yet, but, um, you know, everything's going good. I mean, they're, they're my daughter-in-law, Vanessa, is like, this awesome girl that just I couldn't have picked a better girl for for my son, and then my youngest, uh, what's his name, Grayson? <laughs> just kidding. Youngest, son. they love that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's the middle who is, gets forgotten uh, most of the time. So. Yeah, he, and he reminds me of that from time to time. <laughs> but my youngest is uh, getting ready to go into firefighter school and wants to be a firefighter. Um, he still lives at home. Uh, if you're listening, son, pick up your room, please. Uh, but they're all great kids. They're um, Driven, they got a great work ethic. We just went to, a, uh, and then my fiance Nancy was awesome. She's the light of my life. And uh, so we just took a trip to Boston, and it was great seeing my sons in um, in that big, huge stadium, Fenway Park, singing "Sweet Caroline" Sweet with Caroline. our arms around each yeah. other. You know, having such a good time. So all three, you all, you all got to go. We all went, my daughter-in-law, uh, Nancy, and I, we just toured That's Boston. Awesome. And, and, yeah. yeah, we do, you know, family vacations, but uh, kids are great. And I, I'm just, you know, I keep telling them, I'm not ready for the G word yet, so don't, don't make me a grandfather too much. But So how is it adapting to having <laughs> grown children? Um, you know, it was, I was a big part of their life. They stayed with me most of the time. And it's— uh, You were divorced when great. they were young? Yeah, the older two, I was divorced um, when they were pretty young. I think one was in diapers, and um, they ended up staying with me a lot. I got to be a part of all their childhood. I got to go play baseball with them, you know, do things in the yard, teach them how to do different things. Like I taught my son, my middle son, I'd purchased these um, brackets to make a, a workbench out of. And he was talking about wanting to build a workbench. And I said, well, here you go. Here's the brackets. First part's easy. Now go find the wood. Measure out how much wood you're going to need so you don't have, you know, excess wood. You're not buying too much. And uh, he made one of the best benches I've ever seen in my life. And he figured it out on his own. And it was just, you know, I love watching them when the light goes off. And they go, oh, I get it. Now I get it. And, you know, it's that it's that little piece of letting go, you know, right. that you can let them go and know that, okay, they're going to be okay because they've learned how to change their oil. I taught one son how to change a tire, you know, and it's uh, a lot of times you don't get to do that until that situation arises. But um, it's yeah. not always easy to let them make mistakes. And <laughs> yeah. And, do and, stuff it's, on uh, and and then telling them it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you learn. You're going right. to make mistakes. We all are going to make mistakes. Watching them turn into men and, and grow grow and go out on their own has been – it's been great so far. And yeah. I got one more to – you know, until he's out on his own and, and then I get yeah. to 
you know, sit back and do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> Who are we kidding? I do what I want anyway. <laughs> right. Now, you didn't mention Nancy, and we're talking about Nancy May, who those of us in, in the business, any kind of communications or advertising or PR know Nancy from Sinclair, and mm-hmm. she's an absolute delight to work with. Um, and she's a great cook. That's so, so tell me about Nancy. Tell me why she is special to you. You know, she and I knew each other years ago. She worked at, uh, at the radio station. We were friends and we, you know, did different stuff together. Um, but we were, you know, we were friends and she moved away to Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, you're friends on Facebook when Facebook came around, but it was, she was living her life and I was living mine. And then she ended up getting a divorce. I ended up getting a divorce. And um, oddly enough, she's sitting there watching Burn Notice and saw me on television and said, back that up. I think I know that guy. <laughs> and then she messaged me and said, yikes, watching my favorite show and there you are. And then we started talking and she flew down to Pensacola to do some business and uh, drove over and said hi. And we chatted for a long time and then she flew back home and then she had to f- – come back in and then we went out to dinner and, you know, it just kind of evolved from then. And then it was like, she was working various jobs in Oklahoma city. One job folds. This job shuts down production for that time of year. And they, that job's gone. Somebody leaves a note on her house says, we want to buy your house. (laughs) It's a lot of signs. (laughs) And I went, she goes, what do you think I should do? And I said, I think you should move here because God is telling us you need to move here. And she went, are you sure? And I went, absolutely. I don't think I've ever been more sure of anything in my life. She's an absolute joy. My kids love her. I think they love her more than they love me. They go to her for advice. Um, She's very intelligent. She's beautiful. She's a great cook. Did I mention that? You did mention that. (laughs) She's got a sense of style, which is why I don't wear anything I used to wear, Uh, (laughs) nor do I have any of the furniture I used to have. but it's it's been a, a blessing. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Canopy Roads, um, what Canopy Roads Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Tell me the role of uh, faith in your life. Huge. You know, it's um, sad that people don't like religion as much as, you know, younger people today. Uh, you know, we our, our pastor's fantastic, Matt Hall. We had a, a, an excellent service. On Sunday, and it was talking about um, fanaticism of religion and how people point the finger and go, Bible verse this and Bible verse that says you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And how they're labeled religious fanatics and what they actually need is more religion in their life because Christianity is not based on pointing the finger and judging other people. It's It's accepting other people and it's loving other people and knowing that other people have rights no matter who they are, what background they came from, who they love. Those people should be priority one in your life because they're just like everybody else. So it plays a, it plays a big part. Um, took me through some tough times, you know, divorces and, and financial issues and and the power of prayer to me is huge you know i talk to god on a daily basis uh, every night when i go to sleep i thank him for another day and learn to pray you'll be shocked at how well it can do you got problems let them go hand them up i sit in the parking lot crying my eyes out because i was going through this horrible time in my life and i said i can't do it anymore you take it, you take it, and it's it was it worked out, you know. Um, so it's it's a big part of my life, and I I love taking my kids. I love inviting people to church. Um, don't be afraid to go to church. People aren't going to judge you, you know. It's it's uh, the ones who do need more religion in their life. You know, they need to be the ones who listen more and learn to love more. Looking back, what is the one? person or thing that has changed or altered the trajectory of your life most? I really want to say probably one of two things. That senior play changed my my direction. And then 
seeing that fax or or sitting at that table and making that decision that I wanted to be a DJ um, and not not telling not doing what somebody else told me they wanted me to do or expected of me because it's it, my dad said don't be a DJ you'll never make any money that's not a career well it was 35 years ago and he sit down at the table and eat the crow that, that he dished out for that one. You know, he's more than happy to say, well, I was wrong. Right. Um, well, to me, all three of those three things have in common is that you were faced with making a leap into something yeah. that was outside of your normal, who you, you know, what you normally did. Yeah. The, the, um, I was, I was so shy prior to that senior play. You know, I was so, um, unsure of myself. You know, I didn't want to hurt anybody or, you know, mess up and be embarrassed. I think it was, you know, those areas of taking that leap of faith and and going, I'm going to try it no matter what. Okay, last question. The name of this podcast is How I Got Here. Um, Where do you think here is going to be for you three to five years from now? You know, I've got some good projects that are coming out. Um, I think the here is probably going to be uh, a little bit more into the film and television part of it. I don't want to jinx myself, but hopefully that'll be more more work. I've got two projects that are coming out that, if they keep all my scenes, uh, will be good. Bank, the banker will close the uh, AFI Film, film Festival at Groman's Chinese Theater in L.A. I've got six scenes in there with Nick Holt, Anthony Mackey, and Samuel Jackson. And then I'm not sure if it is absolute positive gonna play, but uh, a film I did with Anna Hathaway, I've got a scene with her that called The Last Thing You Wanted that'll be on Netflix. And that'll be, if it goes according to plan, I think they're trying to get it to debut to premiere at Sundance. So hopefully those two things will help, you know, nudge my career along a little bit more. But auditioning like crazy, I do probably 40 auditions a year. If you get two, you know, you're doing pretty good. So hopefully it'll be more more film and more television. That was Bill Kelly. He may hang out with the Hollywood elite sometimes, but if you're looking for his entourage around town, you won't find it. Bill is just a regular guy who happens to be following his dream. And so far, it's worked out pretty well. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, Follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.